Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of the Ecom Show. And today I'm here with uh, one of the founders of Ecom Crew, uh, Mike Jackness. And uh, today we will discuss many things about e-commerce, especially Amazon. But uh, I would say in general, we will talk about their journey, why they started Ecom Crew past few years, and also how he sees the future of e-commerce. Hey, Mike, I'm happy to have you here today yeah it's great ha- uh, great being here uh it's a little bit different doing it live so it's more pressure there's no editing so i'll uh, i'll do my best to get it all done without any without any errors yeah i'm sure you will take the challenge where are you based <laughs> i'm in las vegas oh nice yeah nice uh i'm planning to go there this year okay awesome well when you, when you come uh, let me know we'll grab a cup of coffee or lunch or something and, and hang out yeah sure so Ecom Crew, um, tell us more about what was your initial motivation and uh, how you met your co-founder. Maybe there are more co-founders. I just don't know about it. So what, what, what was the early, how, how the early days look like for this uh, company? Yeah, I mean, we were already doing e-commerce for, for several years at this point. I started in e-commerce in 2012 when we bought treadmill.com and turned it into an e-commerce site selling fitness equipment. Uh, sold that in January of 2015, then bought another business called Ice Wraps, which we still own, and uh, joined a community called e-commerce fuel and was just kind of getting more and more involved in, in e-commerce and realizing that we were taking an interesting approach that a, a lot of other people kind of found mystifying, which is that we were kind of a technology and marketing company first and and we kind of pick products based on different criteria and things of this nature versus a lot of other people in e-commerce. I think at the time uh, that especially in the e-commerce field community were kind of product people first, you know, they, they had some family business and they were trying to sell these products or they were passionate about something in particular and were trying to sell the products and didn't really have the technology component. Um, By the way, I'm very jealous of them because I'm not a product developer and I haven't been particularly passionate about a lot of the things that we sell. And so I feel like that that's a weakness for me, but the, the, you know, I have a tech background and I was already in uh, technology, online stuff, uh, SEO, content marketing, affiliate marketing, et cetera, for over a decade at that point. And you know, just kind of made a decision to, to start documenting what we were doing with really no pretext or, or expectations of what might happen. It was just, you know, uh, t- making yourself uncomfortable and, and trying something. My, my good friend, Bill D'Alessandro, they kind of give me a kick in the butt about public speaking and, and doing a podcast and basically told me that uh, sometimes you got to make yourself uncomfortable to be successful. Uh, we we kind of go back to the same things that we know and that we're comfortable with. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And so I started doing some public speaking at events and 
decided to turn the microphone on one day and just hit record. And I promised myself that I would do a hundred episodes, no matter how, how bad they were, or mm-hmm. how few people listened and, and see what happened from there. And, and now we're at episode 495 ish, I think as of recording this, closing in on that amazing 500 number. And it's been six or seven years or whatever it took to get to, to that point. Do you already know the guest for the 500th episode? I don't. We actually have been still discussing what we're going to do. Um, one of the things that I was going to do, I ended up uh, ended up doing something different. So we we haven't we haven't figured it out yet. Um, it, it's been an interesting start to the year. I just haven't really had the time for the for the planning. Um, and so yeah, I really don't. I I haven't really sat down and thought about it. Um, it doesn't even seem real. It's kind of crazy because it, I mean, it really is a pretty big milestone. It is a, a yeah. huge number of episodes to, to have recorded. And, um, but at the same time, it doesn't even really seem like anything different. It's kind of like, as you get older, a, a birthday just becomes less significant. Um, I think that the bigger milestone was that hundredth episode because that was what mm-hmm. I had originally set out to do. And by then it was clear that it was something we would continue because it was pretty successful by that point yeah 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 uh, actually the 100th episode of the econ show of my podcast was with ezra firestone okay remember i and you know um, nowadays fortunately we have uh, bigger and bigger names but back then it was a big thing for me mm-hmm. and the ninth episode was kale owen who was the ceo of uh, alex hormozzi's company and okay. Just at that time, he started picking up Alex's uh, his, uh, content on social. So those are two amazing episodes. Yeah. Uh, so Ezra's yeah. a, a friend of mine and just an amazing guest or, or speaker, mm-hmm. just anything. You know, whenever he's around, he he's electrifying, and uh, he's just a, he's just an awesome human being. You know, the more I've gotten to know him, you know, I, I used to always think that it was like some stage thing that you know it was just kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This 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 bit that he did when he was on a microphone or on stage, but the guy is really just an an awesome dude. Like I mean, he really is just a genuinely nice guy. He really wants to to help people and serve people, and all of his employees love him. And he's just entertaining to watch. As you just never know what he's going to say or do. I think it's just whatever comes to the frontal cortex at that moment, and it just comes out of his mouth. And it's uh, it's pretty funny. And he's he's very entertaining. Yeah, 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 indeed. Do you follow other e-commerce podcasts, by the way, because you are close to 500 episodes and I follow quite many, but I can remember like two where uh, they are, you know, beyond 500. Yeah, I mean, I I know of a lot of the uh, other podcasts that are out there. I mean, you know, as you go on your iTunes and search e-commerce, obviously, you're just kind of looking around at what's there. I am friends with uh, several of the people that are that are on there uh, you know andrew udarian's a good friend of mine steve Chu's actually staying at our house right now out there in the other room um who does my wife quit her job you know so those are kind of the old og people uh, scott volker who uh used to really talk about amazon but now talks about other things as a, a friend of mine um so I, i'm you know i know of those people a lot of the other stuff i i'm not as aware of i honestly don't listen to any other e-commerce podcast uh, mm-hmm. i barely listen to any podcast at all anymore I think when you're so inserted into doing podcast or it's such a big part of your life, then you are less interested in, in consuming it on a personal level. And so yeah. 
um, you know, typically the only podcasts that I really listen to are individual episodes that, and I can be in anything, e-commerce or personal health or whatever it might be that some friend points me to and is like, you got to listen to this episode. It's really interesting, whatever it might be. Um, and, and the only re- really exception to this is I do like the, uh, how, how we built this or how I built this podcast. I forgot exactly how their title is, but I always find those episodes to be uh, quite interesting. And, um, I, I typically listen to those in batches on a, on an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same when I travel, I have a lot of time, but, uh, I think we, we are, ha- we are happy when we escape a bit from work. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, when I listen to podcasts, it's nowadays it's more about long, longevity, you know, like Peter Atia, Eric Huberman, these kind of guys. I yep. really do it nowadays, but uh, not much e-commerce, except if a friend or a business friend, uh, they refer an episode to listen to. That's something else. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yep. And back then when you started out with the podcast, was it uh, as popular as nowadays or you de- can definitely see the difference? I mean, we've basically had an increase every year. And so the podcast continues to get more and more popular each year. Uh, I think it's getting harder and harder because there's more and more podcasts out there. I mean, and this can be said with anything. I mean, podcasting is getting harder and harder because there's more people podcasting. YouTube is getting harder and harder because there's more people doing stuff on YouTube. Uh, blogging, e-commerce itself is getting harder and harder because there's more people doing e-commerce. And so there's always a leg up of being early or first. And, you know, we're kind of riding that wave, I think, with with the podcast is we don't really uh, you put a lot of effort into marketing it or, uh, you know, I don't even really speak at a lot of events anymore because I find that to be really exhausting trying to travel around the world to speak at events and prepping for all that. And so I, I think a lot of it's just word of mouth at this point. And we've been fortunate that we have a very loyal fan base uh, that uh, kind of continues to, to motivate me to to want to keep doing it. Because I think at some point you're questioning, like, is this worth it? Or am I doing a good job? Or am I producing content that people really care about that they're really consuming? And usually what ends up happening is kind of like weird twists of fate. But whenever I really start questioning that uh, some signal from, from the heavens or whatever comes and uh, you know, usually it's a matter of live event and people are walking up to me, you know, just saying like, I love your content. You've really helped me. Um, or are they email in, uh, you know, success stories or whatever it might be. It's a really weird medium, you know, unlike just about anything else you can do. It's a one way conversation. I mean, you're, you never see your audience or, or really even know how many people are listening or if they really care uh, until they eventually you cross paths with them one day and they say something. And uh, it, it is amazing how, how motivating that can be. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it wasn't uh, like this at, in the early days. Mm. At least for me, it wasn't at yeah. all. Nobody approached me. I remember. Yeah, no, it was absolutely the same way for, for me. I always joke that like, uh, the only person that would listen was my mother-in-law. Uh, my my own mother didn't even listen. I don't think. I don't know if she's ever listened to one one episode of our podcast. So, yeah, it was obviously a pretty lonely world, um, you know. But I think I'm used to that. You know, I'm I'm again 20 years into doing digital marketing in some some capacity, and 
everything you start, it's crickets to begin with, right? I mean, whether that was my first website or blog, um, YouTube channels we started, uh, we had a, a community, a forum at one time that was, you know, just getting started. There was nobody in it. And so, you know, there's, there's this period of time where most people just drop out, you know, they, whether it's recording a podcast or again, YouTube is another great example. Uh, being a blogger is another great example and two, three, six months, whatever into it, they're looking at their stats and get this feeling of, I put a tremendous amount of work and effort into this and it's getting no results. You know, you see literally zero traffic or we're very close to zero traffic and it's disheartening. And most people are just like, this isn't worth my time anymore. And they give up. And it's, it's unfortunate because most likely, you know, if you're like kind of going through the forest, looking for the the pot of gold, like you're one row of trees away from, if you just took a couple more steps, you would have, you would have found it. And yeah. you know, realistically in that six to 12 month range is when things start to really take off in any of those mediums that I just mentioned. And, and by, you know, 12 months to 18 months is where you really start to see uh, the fruits of your labor. And so mm-hmm. again, I'm used to that. I've already, you know, have been through that. And so that, and, and that because I had set that hundred episode milestone, which is about two years, uh, I, I knew that it, I was going to give it a fair shake and I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up uh, before that, no matter what the stats look like. And in fact, mm-hmm. I, I very rarely looked at the stats then. And I very rarely look at them now because it's not really that relevant to me because um, I'm going to do it no matter what. And so that's yeah. just kind of how we handle it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the right mindset on, on these kind of things. Um, so let's talk about e-commerce more. Uh, can you tell us more about your current e-commerce business? What, what do you do? What products do you sell? Yeah, um, we're mostly Amazon sellers now. This is not necessarily by design. It's just kind of how things worked out. I think in life and in business, uh, oftentimes things just kind of, the wind carries you where it carries you. Um, you know, I, I would like to do more off Amazon stuff, but we ended up selling the company that we had in 2019 that was the most diversified away from Amazon, which was color. It was a coloring book company that uh, geared towards adults. And, you know, since then the businesses that we've had left are, are primarily Amazon. And so we have a brand called ice wraps that uh, sells hot and cold therapy packs that we bought in, in 2015, in January, 2015. So we still have that and it's still running strong, does several million dollars a year in, in business uh, we have a brand called Wild Baby, which is uh, stuffed animals for kids, and it also has a, a hot and cold component to it. It was kind of a kind of an offshoot of of ice wraps in, in a way, um, but but not really. It was just that there was a product that one of our manufacturers sold at the time that uh, became a Wild Baby product, and that's how that brand got started. Uh, we also sell some tactical uh, gear because we own Tactical.com. Uh, we have uh, knitting.com as well. And we have another brand, like the one brand that I can't discuss the actual name of because it was a uh, an investment with ECF Capital. So they've asked me not to disclose that. Uh, it, it's basically a home hardware brand that was 100% Amazon when we first got started, but is now 85% Amazon and 15% Shopify because we've been able to grow that business uh, quite a bit with organic search traffic over the last couple of years. So um, that's kind of our current makeup of our e-commerce portfolio. Yeah. That's four companies in total. Yeah. Five. Uh, five. Yeah. yeah. So I think the second or the third, as you mentioned, the, the kids toy, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
does it have some uh, healing component as well with the colds and warm things? It's not really healing per se, but it's kind of a comfort thing, right? So you're not going to, if you got a fever or you're not feeling well, um, or your child's a little hot or a little cold, it can kind of, you, you can produce the opposite. You know, so if your child's hot, you give them a cold pack. If they're, if they're hot, you can cool it down. Um, uh, women use it a lot as well um, during their, you know, monthly cycle. Uh, a, a lot of people with menopause will use it uh, as well just to kind of have something cool. So, you know, it ends up, it's ended up being more than just a kid's product, which is kind of neat. But yeah, there's, and there's a lavender uh, scent to it, which um, it's kind of an aromatherapy ish kind of thing. We got to be careful what we say for FDA reasons, but um, it's, uh, it's not really a healing product. So it doesn't, it doesn't actually, you know, it's not a medicine or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Reason why I'm asking, because it really hit hit my ears uh, like three, four years ago before COVID, we got a client from the U.S. and uh, they sold a very similar product. It was a small startup branch of a big pharma company. And uh, yeah, it, just, it was a very interesting niche uh, that we work with as well. It's um, been a, a challenge. I mean, it, it's like you, you get into, uh, into things without realizing what you're, you're getting into sometimes. And, and kids' products is, is particularly difficult because there are a lot of certifications, kind of as you were just mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things that you have to conform with on a federal level. And then there's stuff you have to deal with on a state level. And then Amazon has their own kind of process for dealing with this. So it's a gated category. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been an interesting learning process. I'm not sure that I, uh, would recommend it to anybody. <laughs> I would, uh, personally, it's probably a brand that we never would have started or gotten into, uh, mm-hmm. if I knew everything that I know now, but now that we have it, we're certainly going to continue along with it. Um, you know, the other thing that's that's tough with that brand is that the insurance costs are very high when you have uh, your product liability costs because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a kid's product. So, yeah, there's there's lots of things to uh, to deal with there. Um, but it was one of these things where, you know, we've done the hard work and we kind of got over these humps. And so now uh, it's something we'll stick with. But, yeah, I mean, if I was just getting started in e-commerce, it would be the, the last category that I would recommend because of all the all the hangups with it. On the flip side, is there any niche that you would uh, recommend? Um, yeah, like where you can see the best potential. Of course, if you want to share, maybe. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share. You know, kind of just in general, because we're we're thinking about this all the time, uh, and and I, it's something that I'm thinking about more right now as we're uh, just kind of thinking about the future and and the types of businesses we want to run. Um, you know, we've we've now been doing e-commerce for 10 years, have sold tens of millions of dollars of products and hundreds of thousands of individual products. And you learn a bunch of stuff along the way. I mean, for instance, selling treadmills, it's like I realized like what a miserable business selling big, heavy pieces of equipment on the internet is and trying to make people happy uh, in that regard. Uh, And we've sold other things that have also been frustrating and a struggle, but we've also had things where uh, it's been awesome. And, And color it was was probably the best example of this, uh, where, you know, it's relatively small and light products. You know, it's the thing where people talk about, uh, the most ideal products fit in a shoebox, and, and basically everything for color. It did. It also had the added benefit of being, uh, the books themselves were media. Um, and so you could ship the media mail, which is at a fraction of a cost of other shipping, uh, you know, avenues like priority mail or UPS or FedEx, 
Um, every time somebody used one of our coloring pages or one of our pens or pencils or markers, they were consuming something. And so, you know, just inherently it was a consumable product and uh, over time people were going to need more of it. And so I think that that's a really important component. Uh, the other thing that was great about it is it had uh, intellectual property that was really highly defensible. You know, all of the artwork in the books, the color palettes of the products uh, were all copyrighted. And uh, the United States is, is tough to defend a lot of things. Like if you have a patent or trademark, it can get very expensive and it, it's a long process to deal with this stuff. But copyright uh, is, is actually quite easy. And so the people that, that try to, to copy our stuff or you know the bad actors that are out there, we were able to, to relatively easy and quickly just kind of shut them down and, uh, versus our other things that we've developed. Uh, it's been quite difficult, and you have to really want to, to go fight that fight if you, if you want to try to stop somebody. It can get quite expensive, and it seems like a good idea to start with, but probably not worth it. But again, under copyright stuff, it was quite easy. And so I, you know, I think those are the things that are important to me when looking forward, um, you know, because you can differentiate and build, build a real brand uh, that that brand has continued to, to flourish, by the way. I mean, we sold it to a, a company called profound commerce. That's basically a, an, an aggregator at this point. I wouldn't quite call them that because they're a little bit more disciplined than that. And they, they have a different approach, uh, and we we also have invested in that company. Um, so we we see what's happened there, and that brand continues to do well um, because I think it checks all those boxes versus something that's more commoditized or very easy to copy, uh, has lower margin. That's another important factor, by the way, is having higher margin. Uh, it's just I think going to be a bigger and bigger struggle. And so, you know, I look at the tea leaves and kind of just the trends and. What's happening for us in general is that you know our revenue continues to go up, but then our our margins are going down, and so you know it's becoming harder and harder to squeeze profitability out of these businesses that don't have uh, the defensibility, the intellectual property, the mm. the repeat customer base, et cetera. And so those will be the things that we look at uh, moving forward. Which company was it, which is becoming less profitable, even if you? Well, scale? just all the other ones. I mean, the ice wraps brand, the baby brand, the tactical gear. I mean, it's all, uh, you know, the home hardware business I talked about. They've all kind of experienced this. You know, it's, mm. um, and I think it's just a market cycle thing, right? I mean, this is what ends up happening in a mature space. I mean, as things mature, there's more competition. More competition leads to forcing price down. Forcing price down leads to lower margin. And then on top of it, you have platforms that are also maturing like Amazon. And as they do that, and as there's more competition there, they can charge more to play in their playground. And so once upon a time, we would pay probably 30 cents on a dollar of every dollar that we uh, did in revenue to Amazon. And now it's probably closer to 50 or 55 cents. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's almost doubled at this point and, you know, their fees and, and everything. And so, um, you know, all of these things lead to, uh, to margin erosion uh, amongst a bunch of other factors as well. 
Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. Yeah, so you think it's not it's more about the the environment, about the external circumstances, less about the size of your business or maybe what niche they are in, but these changes because of the platform, because of the economy and all of that, the competition, mostly because of those. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's definitely external stuff. And, and what I you know, really realized over 20 years now being in business and a bunch of different businesses, it's always the external factors that hurt you, right? It's never, for, for us at least, it's never really been the things that we've done internally that have caused us problems. It's all the things that you can't control. Uh, whether that's the economy or uh, the financial system, the financial markets, or um, some law getting passed, like out of left field, um, or tariffs coming in, or you know a hurricane hitting something, or whatever, it's always just some random thing that you don't see coming. And on any one day, like your risk of that happening is darn near zero. But over time. I think every business experiences this at some point. It's it just a matter of given enough time, uh, yeah. there will be something that will happen. And it just, you know, you got to try to make sure that you're in the best position to deal with that when the time comes, which I think is also really important. You know, I've seen a lot of good friends get in trouble when the market shifts really quickly. I mean, and, and we're in one of those periods right now where a lot of people were leveraging up because interest rates were low and things were good times were good and it just seemed like it was never going to end and all of a sudden now interest rates are shot way the heck up um, money is drying up uh, prices value of businesses have gone down um, and so you have a lot of people who have uh, you know bought high and now their their assets are worth less in a higher interest rate environment a lot of these loans are tied to variable interest rates and so their payments are going up in a time when uh, profits are down and the value of the business is down. Uh, it can be a, a, a really scary time uh, if you over push it. But at the same time, this is what creates opportunity. And so at some point, you know, if we do go into a recession or there is a, a big retracement of some sort, those who um, make it through typically uh, are, that's when, the, you know, the big wealth events happen, right? I mean, people that survived mm-hmm. 2008 as a, for instance, and or had money in 2008, uh, are probably doing really well right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, what, what was the year when you shifted from having one e-commerce business to multiple ones? Uh, twenty, the end of twenty fifteen. Okay, and uh, I always ask this question from those guys who manage multiple businesses, even if they run many different marketing channels for one business. So. Why did you make this decision and uh, why did you end up having or, you know, running five businesses? Also, I'm curious how much you are into these businesses operationally on a daily basis. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's the ultimate entrepreneur's dilemma, right? Where you uh, mm-hmm. see something working well and then you just kind of want to uh, expand that. And it's not going to, quote unquote, be that hard to like go do another thing. It's not going to take that much time. Um you know, what I've really come to realize at this point in my life is that, um, you know, my my businesses over time have done better when I have one business. And, and mm-hmm. this is a cycle that's repeated in three different industries over 20 years. And so, you know, I, I had a lot of success 
uh, for instance, in the poker affiliate space. And uh, after a couple of years of having a lot of success there, we started another site, bought several other sites and ended up with kind of a conglomerate. Uh, and I think it was detrimental, you know, realistically in the end to, to all of our properties as you just end up spreading yourself thinner and thinner and it's hard to, to manage all those things well or as well as you did when you had one thing. And then the same thing happened again um, when we got out of poker and got into some other affiliate stuff and we end up with a bunch of sites there. Um, and then the same thing has happened now in e-commerce where we started out with one business, it was treadmill.com. Uh, that went pretty well um, and we ended up selling it. Uh, bought another business in the same month that we sold treadmill, which was ice wraps, ran that uh, individually for a while. And then really started seeing things explode at that point, you know, in terms of sales and um, and so it's like, oh, we got to diversify. We got to get into another business because we're going to run out of SKUs uh, for this business. And uh, and so we started another business and then another business. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that, I, you know, I think as I've gotten older and more mature and, and been around other people that do similar things and, you know, and get into other peer groups that are, are really important and masterminds. And you read a lot and, and things of this nature. And I've just kind of really come to realize that, um we probably should be doing less. And so that is an initiative moving forward where um, I would prefer to get to a point uh, sometime over the next couple of years to be do have fewer businesses that we um, do a better job at, you know, it just, there's constantly things that are falling through the cracks when you have this many brands. Um, and it's hard to really put the, the level of effort and focus into all of them that you would, if you just had one, I mean, it just, that's just, basic math, <laughs> you know, and it just becomes more and more difficult and, and more stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a direction that you want to take in the next few years. It is. I mean, again, you can't, it, it's the thing that's unfortunate about these things when you have epiphanies or, you know, the light bulb turns on or whatever, um, you know, oftentimes you can't just snap your fingers and make something happen, uh, you know, unless you're willing to, you know, be detrimental to, to the businesses or to yourself or whatever, whatever it might be. And so, I mean, we have five businesses, four of which are, you know, pretty established and do pretty darn well and make good money. And, um, you know, I think that you need to position these things properly for sale um, rather than just all of a sudden waking up one morning and being like, okay, I'm ready to sell. Cause um, you know, you want to, everything's based on the trailing 12 months. Right. And so, you know, I'm very cognizant of that now, and we're trying to clean up some, you know, of our, our PL and just try to be thinking about uh, what the next 12 months kind of brings to us, and and kind of systematically and properly, uh, you know, have these these transactions and think about what the the one thing that I really want to laser focus all of my time and energy into will be, and that that's yet to be determined. So it's not, you know, uh, withholding something or not or being coy about. It. I just I I've made sure that it's something that I haven't spent a lot of mental energy on right this minute. Cause it's, it's not the reality right now. And things change so quickly that um, what I might I mean, what that might be in a, you know, 18 or 24, 30 months, whatever it might be from now, probably is going to look very different, especially when you start seeing all, all the AI stuff kind of coming at this point. I think that uh, the world realistically is going to be a very different place in, in two years. And so, you know, we'll make those determinations at that time based on how things, how things shift over, over the next few years. Yeah. It's crazy to think about now. Now we started 2023 and two years from now, 25 and 
I mean, it's it's not that far, but still seems very far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. every every year as you get older, time there's like this concept that time goes by faster, even though it's it's not. But like relative to you, it just that's all yeah. ends up feeling. Yeah. You know, now I'm in my mid forties, and certainly you know I see that happening more and more. Um, and it's going to be such a fast paced couple of years, in my opinion. Um, it's going to feel it's going to feel nuts because like you know, all the other technology stuff that we've you know embraced or incorporated in our lives has felt like a normal pace, I guess, or it's something that I feel like, you know, that I can kind of get my head around, but I think that this is such a big shift and it's going to happen so quickly. And there's going to be such a difference in productivity and um, just a whole bunch of other things. The tools that will be coming at us will be fast and furious. Every, iteration of AI is going to be exponentially more powerful than the last. And, um, uh, you know, again, in, in two years from now, I think that it's going to be uh, just a very, very different world in, in this entrepreneur space, uh, e-commerce space, online marketing space, online, you know, content space, whatever it might be. Um, I think it, it's, it's hard to predict what that is. I've been spending a lot of time talking to people and thinking about myself exactly what that's going to look like. Um, Cause like most people are just kind of talking about it from a, Oh, what's the you know best prompt to give chat GPT, you know, what kind of <laughs> hack. Right. And I think that's kind of short-sighted and, and obviously those are important things to be thinking about because it's going to help you today. But like, what is the big revolution that's coming? How is it going to manifest uh, you know, and, and where should we be investing right now? And, you know, I would use the example of the internet in 1995, which is the year that I got the internet and, you know, as I, I was a kid, you know, I was, I was young, so I didn't really think about these things. But if I was older, more mature, had been through business like I have, and I was sitting in front of my computer, experiencing the internet for the first time, realizing, even as a kid, I realized that this was going to change things and things are going to be very different, but I didn't understand how or why. Um, but I think those are important things to be thinking about right now, because the people that figure that out right now are going to be very wealthy in the future. Mm -hmm. So I know you are, you know, well connected. You are in the uh, mastermind of Andrew Udarian and uh, you we talked about Ezra Firestone. So a few well-known e-commerce entrepreneurs in the US. And um, I wonder if you should mention one thing, what's the key to adapt to this new reality in the next few years? What would you say? And yeah, what I, I, uh, people say or what you talk about, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I don't think that we figured it out yet. Like, I'm still trying to to kind of get my head around it. I mean, I think, you know, the obvious thing, like the very obvious thing is just like productivity is going to skyrocket, right? I mean, what you can get out of one human being or one employee, uh, you know, your, if your baseline is, is 100, you know, whatever jelly beans that they produce or whatever that that thing is just to kind of pick some random number, it's probably going to be 150 or 160, 170, maybe even 200, you know, so you're increasing productivity 50 to hundred percent out of each individual, again, depending on their job and what they do. Um, that seems clear. Um, the other thing that seems clear is I think it levels the playing field. It makes the weaker players stronger. Um, which is unfortunate for someone like us, where I think that we're at the top of our game, um, both from a product selection standpoint and copywriting and imagery and, and, you know, those types of things. And I think that 
you know, unfortunately for, again, for us, like if this is coming regardless if we like it or not, but you know, it makes people who maybe are English as a second language people or don't speak English at all, uh, able to compete with you as if they were English speakers or, or native English or the best copywriters in the world or whatever. Um, and so I, I think it's going to make an already crowded space, even more crowded things that are more dif or difficult already more difficult because it's going to allow, uh, again, the, the weaker to be stronger. And so, yeah, I think those things are, those things are obvious. What isn't obvious to me yet is again, if you, you know, if you were to look back at 1995, what would be the things that you could have done to, to really, you know, put yourself in a great spot. And, you know, the answers I think are probably buying domain names at a really cheap price, um, starting blogging and, uh, you know, documenting or whatever, because uh, certainly content sites have, have done very well over the last 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, and, yeah. and getting started early with any of this stuff is, it puts you at such a leg up. And so it's similar to getting started selling on Amazon in 2015, was significantly easier then than it is now. Uh, and I wish I was started there in 2012. You know, I know people that got started even earlier because uh, it gives you an even bigger leg up. And so mm -hmm. I, I still haven't quite figured out from an e-commerce standpoint uh, what those opportunities are yet. Because again, it's just the, the technology is so new and, and there hasn't been a new platform yet or anything that's really manifested um, to, to make that clear. Uh, in terms of like another, you know, Amazon.com or marketplace or something like that. Um, and then, you know, I think also, I think outside of e-commerce as well, because I've spent so much time before e-commerce and, and other things like affiliate marketing, content marketing. I also think that's going to change uh, significantly. I think, you know, the, the traditional results that we've gotten from Google since the, you know, late nineties uh, are going to change, you know, that, that 27 years or whatever that we've, uh, 25 years that we've had uh, search results come at us in a, in a particular way that we've all gotten so used to is going to be different. Um, and so how that, how that's different and who wins and who loses is still not very clear yet. Cause the, the new tool hasn't presented itself to us yet. We, there is no Google 2.0 to look at quite yet. Um, you can kind of look at what Bing has done uh, with their, you know, and, and how they've integrated chat GPT. If it, looks anything like that, then the, the search results, instead of being 10 results to a page uh, with a bunch of ads all around is now, uh, you know, a paragraph that, that gets written to you on the fly and it cites two or three resources and there's one or two ad potentially ads potentially in that result. You know, if that's what it's going to look like, uh, that's a, a big paradigm shift for, for content marketers. And, um, I think that what ends up happening is that there will be uh, winners from that that will have an extreme win where their traffic and revenue increases exponentially. And then there'll be the losers that like basically go to zero because a lot of people are going to get shut out. I mean, if you go from having 10 results to a page to three, that means that there's 70% less space and the ones that are are winning are going to really win, and the ones that are losing are going to be really screwed. And so, you know, those are the things that I'm thinking about how all that manifests and what the opportunity is. I haven't quite quite figured out yet, but it's something I'm thinking about a lot. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I think until now it's more about efficiency and operations and less about the marketing side. You know, mm -hmm. like, uh, 
I can see so many tweets and, and posts about how people use these prompts and they write, they even write their content with AI, with chat GPT. But I tell myself that, okay, because your content sucks. Like, you know, this is right. not, this is a great tool, but not as good as some high level content and copywriters. In of my course. Opinion. Yeah. So, I was in a car yesterday. We were uh, in this kind of mastermind yesterday and, um, I forgot exactly how I put it, but I was like, I'm going to steal that. And and he said that, uh, you know, Chappie GPT is really good at writing like 101 level content, which is like, mm -hmm. I thought was so brilliantly put, um, you know, which is basically like the very entry level beginner stuff. It does a great job at that. Yeah. What it doesn't do yet is kind of what you're just kind of alluding to where like, it's really strong, well thought out research content uh, from an expert. It doesn't quite do that, but I really do think that that's a yet, right? I mean, I think yeah, exactly. that that's coming, which is crazy to think about, right? I mean, like that I can write the, the 201, 301, 401 advanced level stuff, maybe uh, it's sometime in the next two to five years, which realistically is probably coming. Yeah, yeah. So these are the final words for today. Uh, we are over time. Uh, thanks a lot, Mike, for uh, coming here today, sharing your story and your thoughts about the future of uh, AI, e-commerce, and all of those topics we discussed today. And uh, check out uh, his website, ecomcrew.com. And we will also put uh, the e-commerce brands into the description so people can find it and they can even buy from you. And uh, also, I will put a uh, free link into the description and everyone can check it out. It's a 50-point email marketing checklist. You can uh, audit your own email marketing. And uh, stay tuned, everyone. Every week we come out with a new episode. So thanks a lot again. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Daniel.